Hello there and welcome back to Chat Shit, Get Fit, the fitness news, where we unpack the week's biggest news in health and fitness. I'm Bill and I've got man flu and I'm joined by Tom who has... Hello there. Not that I have hello there. Hello there, I have also probably got man flu. <laughs> yeah, we're both a bit um, a bit, a bit, bit poorly, uh, but we are going to power on and give you the news because that's what you deserve. That is what you lot deserve, the top news every single week. And it's weird because we've not even come into contact with each other. We've not. Well, so you've got the man flu, Tom. You, you, you have been shitting yourself. Yeah, well, you know, it's not actually man flu. It's more of a virus. I'm glad it's not the flu, actually, because when I get the flu, I get really delirious and I hallucinate. Uh, actually, me and my missus still laugh about it to this day because, well, it's not really that funny. I mean, it kind of is when you think about it, but... Uh, so as I just said, like when I get a, when I get the flu, I can actually hallucinate. And years and years ago, I had a panic attack in the night because I woke up whilst I had the flu, and I thought I saw a horse in my room. <laughs> and we st- yeah, we still laugh about it to this day. I woke up panicking because I thought there was a horse in the room leaning over me. So what did you do to deal with the horse? What did what did you try to do to stop this horse from? Uh, I was pat- frozen in fear, screaming into yeah, it's long snout. Oh wow! Anyway, um... the horror. The horror. <laughs> right. Uh, moving on from uh, Tom's hallucinogenic uh, past, this week we're going to take a closer look at mushroom power, which ironically is, you know, could be linked to hallucinations. Um, we're going to look at meta analyses, so golden science, or maybe it's all a facade. Done, done, done. Ooh, very, very suspenseful. Um, and basically, we're also going to talk to you how to read one better. Okay, um, and then we're going to finish with some success over the holiday period. So a bit more chilled out. Give you some, give you some tips how you can survive. Uh, well, not survive. What's the, what's, the, what's the saying? How you can not only survive but thrive in this yeah. festive period. Yeah, there we go. Not? Yeah, I mean we 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 cannot control your heating bills. I'm afraid it's not up to us if you survive. That's down to the government. But we can help you thrive yeah. in a health and fitness setting. We can. That's if you survive. Help you laugh as you slowly freeze to death, and uh, you know. <laughs> a shit state of a country at this current time. I wonder what's going on in the US. Because obviously we've got a lot of US listeners. I wonder if they've got a cost of living crisis where they're all freezing to death. Well, I'm sure like, that's the last thing on their minds. I'm, I'm sure they're, you know, rejoicing over this basketball person they've had uh, handed over to them. Have you, have, you, have you heard about that? What? No. So the US has done like a prisoner exchange with Russia. So America have got like um, one of their basketball players back or something. And in turn, they released the uh, the warlord, the gun runner, the arms dealer. That, have you ever seen that um, film with Nicolas Cage, Lord of War? No. Oh, it's basically that's the film based off of this guy that they've released. Well, America's it, released him. Y- y- yeah, in return for a basketball player. It seems like a really, really poor payoff. <laughs> that, that's a really poor payoff. Like a, a basketball really, player this, for a warlord. <laughs> yeah, that's a really, really poor trade-off. I think. Anyway. Um, on that note, let's get into this week's fitness news. Okay, Tom, it's a brand new week. It is the last episode before our Christmas special, before we got a break. Uh, very exciting. Have you got anything to say on that? No. Okay, right. Anyway, we'll move on. Next point. Um, guys, if you've been here before, you know that we've got a great um, friendship with the uh, team over in the Dead Ground. They are a veterans clothing brand. Um, and as you know, a lot of my money does go towards, <laughs> towards that brand. Every time they bring out something new, especially if it's got a, a collar, 
I like to wear it. Uh, once again, I am wearing one of their brand new piece of merch. Um, it is getting its debut on the podcast. So every time I buy something from them, it's worn the very first time on the podcast. So you can see here, I'll give you an all actually as well. I've also got the In the Dead Ground tank card as well. It's uh, full of squash at the moment because I'm a bit, cut, a bit ill. I don't want to be drinking too much beer. Um, so yeah, give you a little full, full on look here. And is that a rugby jumper, is it, Bill? It's a, Yes, it's a, it's a rugby t-shirt. Yeah, a rugby, rugby polo. When was the last shirt. time you played rugby? When was the last time I played rugby? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, Danny, thanks for the, the polo, mate. Uh, it's really good. Um, <laughs> we'll move on. When was the last time you played rugby, you poser? <laughs> the last time I played, the, the last time I played rugby? Uh, maybe I'll start playing rugby now. Maybe I've, now I've got the gear. I need to get an idea. Absolute poser. Absolute. Well, mate, I, it's a great... It's, I like it. I think it's nice. It's smart, isn't You'll it? have to play rugby now, whether you like I'll it or to, not. Yeah. Well, thing is, mate, it's in a fucking size, mate. People think I play rugby. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you know what, though? Since we are mentioning the dead ground, I do know that they've recently raised, what was it, a £1,000 for the veteran fund. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, fair fucking play. Obviously, guys, you can't see what I'm wearing because you can only hear it, but I will put this on our Instagram, a little clip, a little reel of uh, doing this. I'm also going to read this out because I think this is quite important because while they are a clothing brand, they do, so obviously the guy who runs it, Danny, they're very big advocates uh, of mental ill health okay as, as they like to, to call it and with every sort of thing you buy from them they actually come out with these little cards you see here with little messages on them i say little messages they're actually quite powerful uh, and this one which is more specific to this this polo this is retro vibes obviously the, the rugby shirt um and i like the little tagline actually it says retro vibe retro vibes saving lives you can see that tom mm. very nice um there's a little thing i'm going to read off the back it's um, something we actually spoke about on the podcast. If you weren't aware, we actually had Danny, the guy from In the Dead Ground, on the podcast when we spoke about um, the topic of uh, mental, mental ill health. I'll leave that link down below so you can go check it out. It's a really good episode. About two and a half hours, isn't it, Tom Trimba? Yeah. I don't know for fucking ages, isn't it? But it was all good content. Yeah, I really so enjoyed we it. Kept, we kept it rolling. Anyway, I'll read this off for you. We're often led to believe that mental ill health is a new thing that didn't exist 20, 30, 40 years ago. It seems a logical idea given how society has changed. If that were the case, though, Logically, fewer people would have taken their own life back then. According to the Office of National Statistics, more people, on average, took their own life consistently at a higher rate between 1981 and 2001 than they have from 2001 to date. The mortality rate per 100,000 people have decreased from 19.35 deaths to 16.55 for males and 7.51 to 5.47 females. Mental ill health has been documented for thousands of years, the ancient Greek physician Hippocrates described a syndrome of melancholia as a distinct disease with a particular mental and physical symptoms similar to depression. He lived between 460 to 200, uh, 370 BC. In modern times, the reason the topic may appear to some to have come from nowhere can be attributed to people beginning to talk about the topic. Essentially, that is a really sort of... It's a basically it's a way of putting it that by talking more, we are reducing... Hmm. Uh, the, the statistics, which is good, and I think I think we spoke about on the podcast how that last line when I read it again reminded me a lot of that because you do get some. I don't want to say the old and bold sounds a bit rude you could say, but a lot of people say, "Oh, it's come out of nowhere." You know, where's all this mental? Health? We never it's had always all this back been in my day. It's always been around, and the thing is, is that because people are talking about it, it becomes more apparent. When people talk about things, it obviously becomes more awareness. Your your awareness is brought to it, isn't it? So yeah, so it's, it's a great brand, guys. Um, if you've not heard of it before, in the dead ground, go check them out. They are merch with a message, as I like to say. And ironically, uh, my beanie hat from In the Dead Ground has been protecting my ears this winter. I've got an In the Ground beanie hat as well. Have you got the? Which one have you got? Oh, we can twinsies on Monday. Yeah, I've got the. I've got the new one. I've got the new retro one. You know, the light blue and white 
Mine's green. Bubble. Green? Yeah. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, like this, like this is a shirt. This rugby shirt, though. Yeah, I don't think it's a rugby hat, though. Where do you, where do you reckon I should play if I play rugby, Tom? Where do you reckon my position would be? Uh, goalie. Go- oh, God. Right, anyway, do, we'll move do you on. get a goalie in rugby? <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on. Embarrass <laughs> ourselves even further. Um, yeah, okay. Right, we'll get on to the, uh, the fitness news now, guys. Um, as we did allude to in the intro, me and Tom are both uh, pretty ill. So if it does sound that way and it's pissing you off, I can only apologise, but unfortunately, it is what it is. Let's move on to the first piece of news this week, guys. Mushroom power. Now, I don't know about you, Tom, but I feel like recently, ironically, mushrooms have come out of nowhere, (laughs) even though they've been around for years and years in ancient China. But I feel like they're getting banged on about a lot recently, isn't that? Everyone seems to be fucking talking about them. Mm. Um, A lot of it does stem from this appeal to nature, but have have you heard about all the mushroom world craze? The mushroom world. I first heard about the mushroom world... Back in '94, when my mum introduced baby button mushrooms to her spag bowl, and I've uh, never looked back mushrooms? since. Yeah, what, what's a shit mushroom to put in a spag bowl? Well, you don't have a fucking portobello mushroom, are you? In your spag bowl, <laughs> half your plate filled up. Then <laughs> portobello. <laughs> have yeah. you seen? Do you know yeah. what? Like, whenever you go to a restaurant, I mean, as a vegan, you should know as well. But if you go to a restaurant and you get a portobello mushroom, it's perfect. Like, even like you go to Nando's, you get a portobello mushroom in their wraps, it's perfect. If you ever tried to cook a portobello mushroom at home, it just fucking goes wrong. Like I've I've tried grilling the bastard, I've tried putting it in the air fryer, I've tried frying it myself. Like it just it just comes out like a big massive lump of plasticine. What are your secrets, you Nando? My secrets. Tell me. Yeah, well, maybe I'll ask him. I don't know. Um, anyway, we're not talking about portobello mushrooms in this week's news. We are talking about more specifically the mushroom supplements you'll see out there which promise a plethora of health benefits so once again it's another week and it's another men's health article of course it is Um, and they and they basically brought out an article which is five best mushroom supplements now we're not going to go through every because some of them are quite similar because by they're talking about individual products here because they're obviously trying to get you to click on a link so they get some kickback but essentially a lot of these products use the same mushroom or mushroom complex the first one we'll go for is actually one someone mentioned i heard someone talking about in the gym recently actually and that is lion's mane i'll read the extract of what men's health had to say um so far some data suggests that lion's mane mushrooms are brain food in other words the aptly named fungi Give them a Google. They're pretty cool looking. That's, that's what they said, by the way, not me. Can stimulate nerve growth and improve cognitive function. What's more, they're increasingly known for helping with anxiety and depression, as well as boosting sleep quality. Won't be around the bush too much here. I've been through the data. There's a, there's a, there is quite a bit of data out there. Unfortunately, it's the quality is pretty poor. Um, obviously, Tom, you can tell me what you found. But when I looked at the data, here, here's my conclusions on what I found on the data. There's limited data in general. Lots of it's done in Japan which is no surprise because mm. it is obviously from the Asia, the Asia region. So it doesn't surprise me a lot of the, da- the, the uh, data is from there. So, <laughs> Brilliant. Well, at least not the Germans anyway. Um, oh, it's like we're going against gonna... the Axis here. <laughs> I know, yeah, wow, God. Up the Allies. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this limited data, as I said, most of it's from Japan. Most of this limited data, so what? It, so that's not good anyway, that's limited. But to make it even worse, pretty much all of it is on mice and animal studies. And there are some that's in vitro as well. And in vitro basically means in like a little Petri dish in a lab. Basically a lab. So it's not, it's not like legitimate. It's legitimate, but it's, it's not the same as doing it on a human. Um, as we spoke about before, the human body adapts to stuff. You put something in a Petri dish in a cell, it won't adapt. It's in like an open environment. Um, but basically a lot of the data on this mushroom is done on animals and in a labs setting um, if we look at the human data it is extremely limited um, and we do find data that's done on humans it's 
with a low subject size, we're talking like 10, 20, 30 people. And the doses they're given massive. are quite, um, they're quite varied. And a lot of the time, as Tom just said there, they are massive. For, I mean, they're not, it's not unachievable to get that dose in a product sold. But when you look at the dose, rec- the re- recommended dose that a product will tell you to take, Compared it's normally to what you less. Get in the actual shops. Yeah. Yeah. It's less, it's less than the, what you'd get in the shop. Uh, than what you'd get be able to take. So yeah, it's not it's not great. Uh, I mean, have you seen anything online, man? If I missed anything, Tom, is there anything that's blown it out of the water? Saying it's amazing. Well, apart from Joe Rogan. For, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I have noticed a correlation of you know it's becoming more in conversation since Joe since Rogan's banned about off about them. Um, but I did, I did, uh, I did want to say, Bill, like you're always going to have a good time taking lines, man. And do you know why? Because they're fun guys. But yeah, going back to like the dosage of what you said. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dear God. Did you like that one? Listen, I, I, I'm ill. I'm ill. What's your excuse? My excuse? I've, I've nearly cancelled the podcast. I was, I was actually in the process of deleting. That silence was me trying to delete the podcast from the, uh, the archive. <laughs> so, yeah, like the first... Uh, so first of all, like um, I'm the first person to put my hands up when I say, you know, my skills and knowledge on nutrition isn't as good as it is and to say like, you know picking up heavy fins and putting it back down again and making the sad voice in your head go away. So I did go to examine to get most of my information. But it did it did say actually that, that yes, most of it has been like um, rat studies, etc. But they did do a human study. And as you said, um, the doses were like pretty high amounts. Yeah, as you said, Bill, I'm just going to repeat, like not impossible amounts, but when you consider what you actually get in the tub per pill or per spoonful or whatever, you know, or per bite of your, you know, halloumi and, you know, lion's mane wrap, you know, are you actually getting the dose that has been shown to have some clinical significance in research? Because here it's like, oh yeah, the human dosages were like 1,000 milligrams three times per day. But you might go to Holland and Barrett and each pill might only be... 1,500 milligrams. Yeah. Not even that. I mean, some of them I saw was like 450 milligrams per pill. So you're literally getting half of the dose mm. on a daily basis of what the studies have kind of like shown. Now, is it to say that like this is the minimum recommended dose, just that it's what they test at a time. So they don't know what the optimal dose actually is at this current time. Now, the f- I'll be honest with you, like I do get frustrated with things like Lion's Mane, all these like new nootropics in particular, if I'm being honest with you. We spoke about we've spoken about formally on the yeah, podcast, haven't we? The reason yeah. why is because it is something that I get asked by certain people over and over again, like, oh, should I be taking this? Is it good to take? What one do you recommend? It's like like first of all, I, I don't know. But also like what outcome are you actually looking for here? Why do you want to take it? Oh, oh, because it's uh it's supposed to be good for the brain. Okay, but good for the brain how? Yeah, how are you going to test this metric? Yeah. What, what metrics are you basing this on? So let's talk about supplements for a second in general. You know, if you're taking creatine, straight away you kind of, well, unless you're completely clueless, straight away you kind of know what the outcome is there. You're looking to gain maybe a couple more reps on your heavy lifts. Maybe you're trying to get a little bit faster on your sprinting. You know, basically trying to get a bit stronger. If you're taking something like protein, you know you're trying to supplement your protein intake, whether it be for staying fuller for longer or maintaining muscle mass or building muscle. If you take cyclic dextrin, you know you're doing it for energy reasons. Carbohydrate, yeah, you know. energy, yeah. Mm. But in regards to things like lion mane, lion's mane, why? What is the actual outcome you're looking for? And it's hard to, if you don't know what the outcome is that you're looking for, how do you know? You know, if it says, oh, it's to help with your cognitive abilities, What's that how mean? many of cognitive us? Function. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. how does it take to work as well? 
Yeah, are you- Tom, have you seen? If I go back to read what they said because it makes it even more obvious that they're just they, they even they are fluffing around. They said some data suggests, and they go stimulate nerve growth. That means fuck all yeah. to most people. Improve cognitive function. What cognitive function? And then they move on to another paragraph. So they're not about data anymore. They go, what's more, they're known for helping with anxiety, depression, as well as boosting sleep quality. They are subjective. Yeah. They are subjective metrics there, basically, because most people, if they're taking something like that, they could be placebo. Yes. If you've been told, take this lion's mane mushroom to help with your sleep quality, they might wake up and go, oh, I feel like I've slept better today. Well, really, you probably haven't, but placebo, you've gone, actually, yeah. I, I, I feel like I have. So There's like a lot of different like um, outcomes here that they're kind of testing for. So yeah, like Alzheimer's disease, anxiety, depression, menopause, mild cognitive impairment, which can be subjective of what that actually means. Um, and actually, this is quite important. If we if we remember this particular topic when we go into our mate analysis discussion later on, but yeah, exactly what are they testing for here? Are we just lumping all of that apart from menopause under cognitive, impo- yeah. uh, you know, supplementing for cognitive reasons? So yeah, it's really hard to kind of like find a conclusion of what you're actually taking it for. And if you're unsure of what you're taking it for, how are you going to know if it's working or not? You don't wake up yeah. after three days and say, "Well, I feel like I've improved my cognitive function." I'm not saying that it doesn't do anything. It's just that it's very hard to kind of like find out what the fuck is going on once you're actually taking it. Um, so as a first, guys, there's a couple of supplements which do use lion's mane. The next one um, is also using a couple when there's also, it's also like, like a blend. Like a, uh, there's, an, there's a product called Onnit, fucking something like that. It's the Joe Rogan fucking supplement. Um, but this next one is Cordyceps. And this is actually in three of the supplements in this article. Uh, and once again, I'll go through the claims that they made on the website. Um, vascular benefits and immune support boost energy utilization during exercise. Okay, brilliant. Um, so once again I looked at the data again Tom's obviously done the same we've done it separately here when I looked at it once again echoes pretty much what was Lion's Mane limited data in general mainly done in Japan no surprise most of this limited data was done on mice and animals once again Um, and there was human data that shows exercise performance um, improvements but it uses high doses and is used on untrained participants and that was a limited subject size. So there was a paper which showed increased exercise performance, but used a high dose and the participants were untrained. However, when they use cordyceps on trained participants, the data shows no effect. And my uh, assumption on why that is the case, is, I think it's pretty obvious. If you're getting untrained participants to start doing exercise before exercise over time while taking this, naturally you're going to improve your performance because you've just started you're untrained you're now doing a new stimulus you're going to grow so your performance is going to increase however when they get people who have already been training and they give them this mushroom on top they're like well it didn't do anything that to me highlights that for exercise performance it's probably not that great did you see anything else tom anything that uh, stood out to you no not really i've kind of lumped all these in the same you know thing which is yeah it's hard to kind of find mm. the natural outcome you're looking for and whether you can actually measure it in the first place. Once again, it's not me saying, like, does it actually do anything? But from, like, a performance standpoint, I don't really think it does. Um, I mean, if, it might be one of those things where, like, if you know your predisposition to, like, anxiety, or if you do have anxiety, and it might help, fair enough. I don't know if that's really a an athletic, it's going to boost athletic performance, you know, anxiety and sports do go hand in hand, so who knows? I just think we need more research in general. But it is something where it's hard to just say to someone, yeah, I think you should take it. If someone wants to get stronger, I'll say, oh, try taking creatine. You know, oh, I want to build muscle. Oh, (laughs) uh, take some protein, supplement your protein. You know, if you're, yeah, 
running sprints. Oh, try some cyclic dextrin, or if you're swimming, etc. You know, there's things I can recommend, but with this, it's like, I, I don't know what it is you're trying to improve. Oh, exactly. Apart from this last one, Tom, you might enjoy this one then. Mushroom jerky. So mushroom jerky is not really... It's not in the same vein as the other the other lot where it's trying, promising to improve stuff. It's basically just mushrooms in a jerky form. Um, now, normal mushrooms can taste pretty good. Um, they can be high in certain micronutrients. They're high in fiber. If you want to smash a mushroom jerky, maybe you are you know vegetarian, vegan. It's a nice little option. Obviously, there's not as much protein in mushroom jerky as there is in uh, a beef jerky, but there are other health benefits that come with normal like mushrooms in general. Like normal mushrooms, they are quite good to add to a balanced diet. Mm. So there's no real issues there. However, Tom. If we move on to the more, you know, the wild side of mushrooms, magic mushrooms. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I am—I swore there was a time years ago. I think it was in the Entertainer. You told me a story that you had an experience with magic mushrooms. Was this you? I'm sure it was you. So you're 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 half right. Oh, okay, go you're on. Half right. It wasn't actually mushrooms. Oh, okay. It is something. It was a hallucinogen. Yeah, it was a hallucinogen, and it's something that's completely legal. You can actually grow it in your garden. Uh, salvia divinorum um right. look it it was something i did when i was very young you know <laughs> what was it what is it what is it a plant or what yeah it's just it's just a plant but basically the leaves are dried out and you just smoke it and uh right, okay yeah sends you to space wow, God. yeah we're talking talk about apple. i'm sure i remember you telling me like some mad story of what happened when you did it yeah once again, I just want to stress, like, obviously, this is when I was very young, <laughs> you know, it's not, I don't want to be one of those, yeah, Joe Rogan-esque types where I'm like, oh my God, it completely changed my life and opened yeah, up yeah. my third eye because then I'll just sound like a fucking cunt. But, um, yeah, I was very young and just experimenting in my age and, yeah, drawled up. Mate, and, it sounds uh, like, mate, this sounds like you're really, like, avoided, it sounds like you, I'm interrogating you for being a nonce or something. I know, but it's very hard to explain it, but... um the, the, the couple of times I did it like it was all different experiences and yeah it was very psychedelic like look, you, you honestly you can't explain it <laughs> it's really hard to describe like from a aesthetic point of view but basically I was transported at one point to like an Aztec temple and had these wow. higher beings all around me that was one time higher beings yep wow. another time I had a rendezvous with me dead nan that one I wasn't as keen on. Uh, why did you say rendezvous? Why why did you use that language? You had a rendezvous. <laughs> it just sounds weird because uh, it, it, it sounds more mysterious than saying, oh, I met up with my dead nan. What can I? She oh, came in the front like, you right, mate? <laughs> 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 but yeah, I, I, I just don't want to sound like one of those people that is like, oh, it's really cool to do, go and do it, etc. I've noticed actually a lot of people who do it, don't they? They really, like on podcasts especially, they love bigging up and saying, oh, you know, it was a... It was an amazing experience. You know, I was transported to this other plane of existence. And, you know, since then I've come out and I'm a, I'm a calmer man. I'm a, I'm a better man. I'm a, I'm a stronger man. And, you know, it's oh, fucking hell, mate. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, WD-40 films just wasn't doing it for me anymore. So I feel like I need to upgrade. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, sure. it is something that, you know, particularly with podcasts now, and I think it's just this whole Roganism, mm. you know, where it's like, oh, it enlightened me. It opened up my mind now. So now I can push pseudo bollocks. I've noticed actually in terms of podcasts recently, I think the biggest thing I've noticed is there's people out there now pushing the, um, as you said, like the, the pseudoscience stuff has become really big in podcasts. And what I've noticed is ex-criminals. 
ex-convicts going on podcasts. It's like you got the pseudoscientists, oh, really? you got the ex-convicts. Like, con- mate, all I ever see now is like these old gang- like London gangsters and stuff. They go on, they just start chatting absolute fucking waffle for like an hour about how they would like the hardest nutcases in London. <laughs> just grassing, basically. Oh, but mate, honestly, it's all I see now. Constantly, I see either ex-fucking gangsters or people who are going this new fucking supplement is going to change your mind it, it, it basically creates new neuro pathways which will make you a stronger fitter individual and it's like, oh my god I can't name any names but we'll quim Tony big Tony from Camberwell <laughs> yeah but um, yeah not my cup of tea no I mean at least it's something they could have done whilst they was in prison <laughs> <laughs> half of them have phones anyway Imagine that, doing a, that's one thing we ain't got to worry about, you know, is if we're doing our podcast, we're not going to have a riot break free. Anyway, moving on from the world of mushrooms, we'll move on to the next piece of news. Now, this is going to be quite a chunky one. We're going to now talk about uh, meta analyses. Uh, and they're normally, so, you know, if you've been here before, those who've been with the podcast a while, you know, we like to bring them up now and again because they are, well, we get excited really because. If they're conducted and reviewed skillfully, they they can lead you to a really good conclusion on the topic. And that's why they're sometimes referred to as gold science. So something that came up recently, and while we talk about it, is there was a brand new paper um, that we'll look at the title it is "With Great Power Comes Great Responsibility: Common Errors in Major Analyses and Major Aggressions in Strength and Conditioning Research." Um, I'll, actually, I'll give you a quick recap first. So, what one is because I'm fully aware some people might be new to the podcast. Basically, major analysis is when you get a load of individual studies, or some in some cases, they even get like a major analysis. We'll look at multiple major analyses, and it'll be like a big fucking. I think Tom mentioned something called a giga analysis at one point. Uh, but basically, you get a load of studies, you review them together to allow for a better conclusion. Okay. Obviously that relies on all the papers, individual papers being of good quality, because if you have, you know, lots of individual shit papers, it's going to be a shit mode analysis. Um, I think Tom actually wrote this down back in an old episode when I was listening to one of our older ones, um, you compared it to instead of having one witness to a crime, you've got a hundred. Mm. All of their own biases. All of their own well, it's a simple exact well, there you go. It's a very simple but a really powerful comparison to make. To think of a meta-analysis is, is instead of having one paper, you've got 100. Or as Tom said, one witness to a crime, you've got hundreds. So that is why they are referred to as gold science and people love to use them when they're trying to support their argument or they're trying to basically come to a strong conclusion on something. So that paper I mentioned there is by Cadlec et al. And it is 2022, of course. And before we get into the paper specifically and go through um, a step-by-step guide on how to read one, I want you to cast your minds back to an episode we did on the carnivore diet where I took the piss a little bit in that episode to kind of highlight to you how a meta-analysis could be flawed. Yeah. Carnivore diet, if you've not heard of it, I'd be very surprised, very big. Basically, you just eat meat and that's essentially it. Um, but basically, what I did in this, paper, in this episode, sorry, was I rattled off three massive, and I mean, these were fucking huge. Um, like I think one of had like half a million people in them. Um, three massive major analyses that showed no link between saturated fat and cardiovascular disease um, and coronary heart disease, basically heart disease. Okay, and these papers were often used by people who love the carnivore diet to say, look, you're saying we shouldn't eat all this meat because saturated fat is going to fuck us up. Um, and they'll show these papers, go, look, these big matter analysis has showed that there's no link between saturated fat and heart disease. As I said, one of them had half a million participants, so fucking huge. Um, but I'll give you an example. One of these meters showed a, redu- a reduced risk in stroke. Okay, so you'd be like, fucking hell, wow, reduced risk in stroke, brilliant. However, 
The statistical weight of this paper was mainly from a Japanese cohort eating 18 to 24 grams of saturated fat a day, which means they were upholding less than 10% of the threshold, which is 10... So basically, that is less than the current guidelines. Yeah. It's under the dosage of saturated fat anyway. <laughs> yeah. The current guidelines have a state is that if you have 10% of your diet should be from saturated fat. These participants, and this is the same with all the studies. If you looked at all the studies in these three meta-analyses that I spouted off, pretty much all of them were underneath that threshold. Yeah. So of course, of course the results are going to show that there was no link. Funny enough, there's one particular fitfluencer slash researcher actually that um, he's he's constantly been like kind of like pro-saturated fat and yeah pro-red meat and very recent he's been called out for it before where these exact uh, analysis you just mentioned he's been all over it saying that this is definite proof that you know this is safe for us actually he's done it bloody again and it's just such a weird hill to die on when people point out several times you do realize that this is being driven by research where they're not even eating the dose where there's most risk weird hill to die on there's, there's an example there kind of why meta-analysis should not always be taken as gold science, uh, a gold, as gold science. but obviously that's in a nutrition setting. So this paper that's just come out is looking more at strength and conditioning, uh, conditioning research. And if we look at this paper specifically, it's, uh, it's quite worrying. Um, so the researchers identified 20 of the most frequently cited meta-analyses in the field of strength and conditioning, and then they checked them for statistical errors. And the worrying statistic, a staggering 85% of these papers contained at least one statistical error. So you might be thinking at this point, you're probably not actually, to be fair, <laughs> um, what about peer review? Because a lot of these bigger papers, they'll go through a peer review process and people think, oh, it's been peer reviewed. It must be it must be fine. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, well, the actual truth is there's actually not many people who know how to conduct a meta-analysis start to finish. It's a bit of a beast to take on. and <laughs> Including us, I just want to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, including us, exactly. We're not perfect either. Exactly, we're not perfect. Um, so to peer review a meta-analysis, a meta-analysis to, you'd have to have a certain level of familiarity and expertise to sufficiently review one, if that makes sense. Because when they get reviews for these, it doesn't mean they can have a subject matter expert. They're just looking at the paper from a researcher's point of view if it's been conducted properly. But to be able to do a meta-analysis properly, you know, from start to finish, you have to be super familiar and have expertise in the subject, which is not often the case. Hmm. So don't always think, oh, this paper's been peer-reviewed. It's absolutely gold dust. It's, you know, it's fucking, it's 100% legit. That's not always the case. Okay, that goes the same, so bear that in mind. Obviously, don't start throwing out your science books. Don't start thinking, oh, fucking old Bill, Tommy, your whole, your whole podcast is based on evidence. You know, don't start throwing things out, believing the world's flat. You know, it's actually very, very common for a meta-analysis to have errors because individual papers normally have a little error. So if you get loads of papers together, chances are if there's a pa- if you've got if you've got twenty papers of a thousand participants each, and you've got fucking thousands and thousands of participants, chances are there's going to be an error in there somewhere. So what we can do is we can't change the past. So obviously these papers they've looked at, eighty-five percent of them had a statistical error. But what we can do is we can positively impact the future. Tom, we can make a real change. We can make a difference. So <laughs> what we've done is we've got a meta-analysis checklist um, and we've got it from the guys at Maz. So if you're not sure what Maz is, it's basically like a research resource. Yeah. Uh, me and Tom really love using this. So the guys there are fucking awesome. They look at papers. They basically analyze papers yeah. for you, essentially. And if you take the time to read it, you can get some really good information from them. Greg Knuckles in particular is fucking really good at dissecting research. Uh, yeah, this obviously we can't, 
spoil too much because it is a paid for service and I feel like we're doing a disservice um, to leak their paid for information for free. But we'll basically do it in our own way by butchering it completely probably and being 100% wrong. Yeah, we're going to go for the checklist and we're just going to, yeah, we're going to put the Prince Andrew's going to be on there, the Germans are getting involved, it's going to be fucking We're just changing keywords, aren't we, really? <laughs> keywords. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, right, that's it. I thought that'd be good, actually. Um, basically, the idea of this is it's so the next time you look at a major analysis, you should be able to tackle it better. So it just means basically the next time some fucking Webster's influencer posts a study saying, oh, this is what this fucking study says, you can break it down and be like, hmm. Are you sure about that? Or you could just know you haven't got you've got to engage in dialogue with them. You just know to yourself they're spouting shit. Webster's influencer. Do you know what? Um, first of all, just just <laughs> explain just very quickly what what is Web like Webster's the actual brand? Oh, it's um army kit. Yeah, like army. Nothing wrong with it. Kit, I just yeah. want to clarify. <laughs> the reason, but you know, like how with uh, like fitness influencers, they like get sponsored by all, like their tacky gear, etc. Yeah, yeah. So you just said a Webster influencer, yeah. Mm-hmm. How awesome would that be to be a real thing, like a Webster's sponsored influencer? Sponsored by Webster's? Yeah. Get that little sewing kit out, that little fucking house kit out. kit, <laughs> little waterproof notebook. Everyone got the same thing from, didn't God, they? I'd get like 40% off. I'd, I'd love it. Whoa. Love it. What would you do with it though? What 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 use have you got for a little sewing kit with DPM, uh, DPM MTP fucking... I'd, I'd DPM <laughs> <wash> kit. I'd <laughs> <laughs> a DPM fucking biffy bag. Right, that's the uh, military inside jokes I've done with now. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah. People are thinking, shut the fuck up. Anyway, right. So um, <laughs> we'll go through these points. Me and Tom, we're gonna, we'll, we'll alternate these points because otherwise I think there's like 10 of them. If we if it's just one voice, it'd be fucking boring. Um, I'll start on number one then. So basically what the way this is going to be structured is the point are, is a question you have to ask yourself. Is it the outcome and, you want? <laughs> is it, yeah. <laughs> is it, is this, if it's not the outcome you want, yeah. fucking bid it. Does the, it does does the researcher bias, lift more than you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. These are the, these are the questions you need to know. Is the researcher German? Yeah, yeah. Oh fuck. <laughs> oh, <laughs> spicy. <laughs> oh, I mean, to, spicy. To be fair, a lot of them did flee. You know the uh, Nuremberg trials. Yeah. To become researchers in the space program. Apart from Brad Schofield. Yeah. I, I really felt we got to stop name dropping certain people. Let's go. He's not German, by the way. Just FYI. Um, actually, I don't know. Is he? Is he? He's not, he's, he no, must no, be no, a German he's background. Not. Has he got a German heritage? I don't. I don't know. Should you ask him? I'm afraid. <laughs> I, I'd rather just keep not knowing who we are that we don't exist yeah. <laughs> that'd be better wouldn't it anyway right we'll go for these points then so question number one you need to ask yourself is the data reported at the group level or participant level the most common you'll see in a paper is group level so for example you'll put group a on a supplement on supplement x we'll call it we'll call it protein supplement x and then group b will be on placebo and then the conclusions are going to be based on that group Okay, so if they'll they won't look at individuals in the, that group, they'll just look at it as a group average, and that'll be your conclusion. However, if we look at an individual participant paper, we're going to get data from each individual in each group as opposed to a group based conclusion. Obviously, that's going to be better, isn't it? So, if you get the results from ten studies with a hundred participants at group level, this meta analysis would have ten data points. If we have that at participant level, it's then going to have a thousand data points because we're looking at. You know, each participant in each of those uh, studies. So it's obviously going to be better. So essentially what that means to you is if you come across a participant level meta, you've uh, what you could call it, hit the creme de la creme of a meta analysis. Um, of course, there's going to be other factors that apply. It could still be shitty data, even if it's participant led and the data's fucking Webster's. <laughs> um, it's still not going to be great, but yeah. 
ask yourself that question first. Is it group-led or participant-level-led? And then you can get an idea of the... Because if they've done participant-level as well, they've gone fucking to town on it. It shows they've they've put a lot more work into it. So that could be a good indication as well. Having both angles. Yeah, for sure. Um, that is a, that's the first question. Tom, what is his second question? So yeah, second question. Are there enough studies or participants to draw strong conclusions? I mean, it's kind of pretty much just repeats what you said. It's what we mentioned earlier as well. But at the end of the day, like a, a meta-analysis is it's a numbers game. So when we go back to what we said about witnesses earlier on, it is a numbers game. Numbers is what actually draws the the odds ratio. Um, a quick rewind. So in a mate analysis, you get some kind of odds ratio, which is where, okay, out of all these different individual studies we've compiled here, how far does the odds actually go in favour of a certain conclusion? So... I oh, know. Let's make up our. So you 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 just made up your own hypothetical, then didn't you? Supplement X, protein supplement X. I'm going to upgrade this a little bit here. Right. I'm going to make up my very own meta analysis. You ready for this? Go for it. So research uh, meta analysis. Do Captain Bird's eye fish fingers make your cock massive? You know. <laughs> oh, and let's God. just say, like, uh, there's a whole <laughs> several researchers have decided to study this in different studies. Yeah. Okay. You and me. Now, in regard, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, the studies will, unless it's like in an overwhelming odds where everything's in one big massive favour, you're going to get where it's like, okay, this amount of studies support the odds ratio so that it's actually in favour of Captain Bird's Eye Fish Fingers Make Your Cock Massive. Right. Then you might also have some studies that say, actually, we disagree. And actually, that drives the odds the other way around. Now, depending on how many subjects you have, per study or how many studies you have in general that is what's going to drive those odd ratios in the other way sure. now you might have a meta analysis that only has a couple of studies which isn't really a significant amount to drive the odds ratio to say actually shit they replicated this so many times that this is almost like all right not definite proof but it looks pretty sure that captain bird's eyes fish fingers makes your cock massive <laughs> um, okay but what about if there is actually quite a lot of studies but each study the participants just like i don't know one study's like five subjects you know mm. it's like i don't i don't know i don't know if captain bird's eye fish fingers will make my cock massive because each study is only five people in total there's like yeah 10 studies here each of only five subjects i, I don't know if i go for 50 people there so yeah, it is a numbers game. So you can kind of like go for the meta analysis and have a look at individual studies to see like how many participants were actually how how many participants were actually involved in general. So that could be on a study level or how many studies in general were actually included. Usually the more the better. And that's why whenever we've done like a podcast episode and we brought up a meta analysis and we've gone yeah, this is a massive mate analysis here. It's because it's got like last fucking, week three point three million. Wasn't yeah, it? we spoke to about last week. Yeah. So they, on a subject level, fucking absolutely loads of people there. Then we might say that this one's actually got like fifty. What was it? We actually found like a BCAA one ages ago, and there was like over like sixty studies. I'm putting out yeah, my ass. It was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. So yeah, it is a numbers game. The next question: So, are these studies similar enough to even think about combining their data? So, a fictional example of my meta-analysis is going to be on my protein supplement X and muscle growth, okay? This meta-analysis that I've made up has got 20 studies in it. So a pretty decent size, you say, Tom, isn't it? 20 is a good size for a meta-analysis. Yeah. Um, however, when we look at these individual papers in this meta-analysis, some, some studies sampled untrained subjects, others sampled trained subjects, some studies sampled lean and active participants, while others sampled inactive people with obesity. 
Some studies included resistance training, others did not. Some studies were less than two weeks long, others were in the 12-week range. I mean, you can see where I'm going with this, can't you? How on earth can you draw a solid average based or conclusion based on this data? You've mm. got to ask yourself, if you want an informative and an unbiased summary on a body of research, so on this muscle growth about this pro supplement, you've got to ensure that the elements, so all the papers, should they actually be combined in the first place? Because if you're trying to prove that that supplement increases muscle growth, if you've got all those different things going with all those papers, why have they been combined? You're not, you're looking at pro muscle growth on people who are obese who do no exercise. You're looking at people who do resistance training, so that's more relevant. You're looking at people who, who have trained, some have not trained, some are only two weeks long, some are 12 weeks long. The idea is basically we want things to be as similar as possible, essentially, yeah. when you're doing a meta-analysis, because then we're getting replication. So if my paper instead, let's say, oh, let's make this more legit then. If I got this meta-analysis on protein supplement X, and it was 20 studies, if all 20 were on trained participants, all conducting a resistance training program of some sort, it's not the same one, but of some sort, okay, and it was all 12 weeks long, that's a much stronger paper. Because then we're seeing the effect of this protein supplement over 12 weeks on trained participants, and we'd have to obviously decide what the criteria for trained would be, and they're all doing resistance training, yeah, which is the demographic a protein supplement would be for. And if it did come out at the end of that, this supplement did increase muscle growth by blah, 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 or whatever dose we give them, then we've got a good paper there. But when things start to get yeah. all different and change in a different demographics, different fucking time domains, it makes it a bit weaker. See, that can drive the forest plots as well. I mean, that could drive the odds of ratio as well. Yeah, yeah. And as you know, Bill, like in the fitness industry, a lot of people don't like this answer, but it's true. And that is a lot of things come down to, oh, it depends. Yeah. You know, and as you said, like um, some something might work for a particular group depending on the methodology you know and the heterogeneity as you said like whether someone's old whether someone's young their gender but if you're combining it all together that can skew the results a little bit but actually if mm. we separated the heterogeneity a little bit for example let's say we might find that well, actually this seems to work particularly well for females more than what it does mm. males so actually it's not useless it's just that it depends if that makes sense I mean, the next question, Tom, you're tackling, I think that's pretty, it's pretty similar, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, like, are the measured outcomes similar enough to even think about combining them? Uh, if we go back to, to what I said earlier about the lion's mane, what is the outcome you're actually kind of looking for? <laughs> yeah. And is this actually going to, is this going to combine with kind of, a, well, going back to what you just said there about like heterogeneity, et cetera, that's a good example of it. Or even better, my Captain Bird's eye fish fingers analogy. <laughs> so for example... Yeah. In this meta-analysis or whatever it is you're looking for, are the outcomes actually similar or are they so different but they're lumping them together onto those odd ratios anyway? So, for example, uh, we're looking at my fish fingers uh, meta-analysis, right? <laughs> Does it make your cock bigger? Okay, it's the odds ratio says that yes, dramatically so it's in favor of it eat captain birds eye fish fingers this mate analysis suggests that it does make your dick bigger in fact but let's just say i'm being extra vigilant right and i go and i read some of these individual studies well actually one of the main drivers that has driven those odd ratios on that sliding scale all the way to positive well actually it says here that it just had like a positive effect on the size of your balls okay but i'm not worried about the balls i'm worried about the actual size of my dick Hang a minute, this other study that's including this meta-analysis that has driven it in favour of it is talking about, you know, the girth of this cock. I'm not worried about the girth, I'm worried about the length. The length, yeah, yeah, the length. So yeah. do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 
But what about if, and once again, this kind of rewinds back to what you just said about heterogeneity and different, you know, like what you're actually testing for. It's like, well, what about if we just separate these studies into we're looking for length in particular? We're not trying to combine the balls and the girth, you know, and how I imagine to explain this so well <laughs> with this analogy. I might have to make an infographic out of this. We are a serious evidence-based <clears throat> We might even get sponsored podcast. by Captain Bird's Ice Fish Fingers. Captain this could be my next infographic, Bill. <laughs> or fucking Pornhub. <laughs> yeah, or, or to be fair, I could explain it on Pornhub and just link it through my Instagram. What, just you laying there naked, eating fish fingers? Holding two looking fish into fingers. the camera. I'll, I'll <laughs> fold them out first, because I don't like holding cold food. <laughs> I don't. I don't like holding cold food. It makes me feel very uncomfortable. Well, yeah, I'd assume you'd. I'd assume you cook them first. You're not straight out of the freezer. It's like munching on a frozen fish finger. Well, uh, that's just a waste of food, isn't it? But moving on, do you see what I kind of mean here? Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, yeah, are you, you actually looking for similar outcomes, or are you just meld them all together here, and that's going to drive the? Yeah, so it's all the same. Isn't it? Yeah, ball size, dick size. Yeah, let's just say it's positive all, but it's not, is it? Because we're looking for a very specific outcome here. Mm-hmm. So you could yeah. be more vigilant and kind of go through the studies and just see, okay, is this the actual outcome I'm looking for here or is this being lumped yeah. in with several other things? So for example, like um, I could be looking at a study that does uh, this particular, say supplement A, does this actually increase muscle growth? I'm not bothered about strength, I'm just like muscle growth in general. But what about if they've also included studies that have increased strength? So they've not even looked at muscle growth, just strength. But these particular studies where they've measured strength as set the outcome of this uh, meta-analysis that I said, yeah, yeah, it's really good for muscle growth. Even yeah, though some okay, of the studies yeah. that have driven that are actually just about strength, strength not growth. Yeah. I know they go hand in hand, but you see what I mean. So this next one then is have effect sizes been... Actually, before I say this one, you could probably already start to realise that it's quite. it could be quite time-consuming just to go through an meta-analysis to make sure, like, especially if they've got shitloads of papers. And this is why you, you've got to do your homework, really. Like, if you want to confidently state a major analysis to support your bias or whatever it is on something you've got to look at all the details because it can go com- completely wrong uh, the next question you need to ask yourself is have effect sizes been calculated correctly so you have to bear with me on this one it's a bit fucking maths heavy bit carnage um, there's a paper i will link below um, and it's sort of on the world of effect sizes it goes into super depth but you know i don't want to fucking risk you going to sleep and crash into a fucking bollard on the m25 so um <laughs> i won't go through it all but essentially here's what you should account for if you're looking to see if effect sizes have been calculated correctly so some researchers will calculate change in a treatment group and they will ignore the placebo group so you need to watch out for that an example of this could be, let's say you've got two groups doing deadlift. They're going to smash some protein supplement X or they're going to have a placebo and then they're tested again to see if it's improved their deadlift. Oh, fucking wow. Protein X group increased their weight lifted by 200%. Wow, we, you're now going to run away with that conclusion and say, look, I gave them protein X, they're fucking weight lifted by blah, blah, 200%. But because they've only looked at the treatment group, they're now going to put in a conclusion that Protein X increases deadlift performance by 200% after consumption. Great. What will actually be better is if they calculated a change in the cheap treatment group relative to change in the placebo group. Um, so what I mean by that is, let's say Protein X, they increase their weight by 200%, but the placebo, the people in the placebo group, increase their deadlift by 190%. So in reality, what we've actually got is Protein X has increased strength performance by 10% when compared to placebo. That would be the that would be the conclusion. So if you read a paper and it doesn't say XYZ supplement has increased compared to a placebo, 
potential, potentially they've only looked at the change in the treatment group, which is not great because you always need to compare it to the placebo because that number is huge difference there, isn't it, Tom? If you saw a paper that said 200% compared to 10%, fucking hell, that's huge. So you need to need to look out for that, okay? So make sure that if they have got a placebo group, that the results, the conclusion is based off a change, a relative change to the placebo group as opposed to just the result of what the, the treatment group, uh, the group got. Another thing you should look out for is when an analysis includes multiple different types of effect sizes, but then treats them as if they're the same. So once again, bear me here, guys. This is fucking where the maths comes in. So an example being a group might squat 50 plus or minus 10 kilos at baseline. I then give them protein supplement X and it might then increase their fucking squat value by an average of three plus or minus five kilo. Yeah, so a little bit. That gain of three kilo could then be presented in the paper as an effect size of three slash 10 kilos, which would be the raw score standardization. Or it could be presented as three slash five kilo, which is the change score standardization. If we look to those effect sizes, so I'm going to say three dash, it means three divided by basically. But if I look to those effect sizes, three divided 10 is 0.3. Three divided five is 0.6. That effect size is very different. If they are then using them the same, so what I mean by that is, if they've got a paper that, so let's say a mate has got 10 studies in, if five used one, five used the other, but they look at them as the same and they use the effect size as the same, they could, you've then got a very different result because 0.6 is a lot better than 0.3, but it's from the same fucking result. It's from the same thing. They've just decided to use a chain score standardization as opposed to a raw score one. So if all the papers are using different ones, you're... <coughs> Fucking up. There me. Oh fuck. Oh Jesus. <laughs> Go and get out lem sip there. <coughs> oh great, it's turned to a snuff film now. <laughs> oh god, what happened there? Right. You need more lines, mate. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm back in. Fucking outside of the co- oh no. Right. Rewind. Rewind. Basic basically effects <laughs> I'm gonna cough again, aren't I? Fuck this is doing bad in. Guys, doing a podcast with a uh, man flu is problematic. I've run out of Lemsip as well. It's placebo anyway, mate. It's bollocks, and it? it's paracetamol, isn't it? it is. um, <clears throat> basically, guys, what I was trying to say before I nearly killed myself coughing is that the <coughs> <coughs> Jesus Christ. <coughs> I've got something to suck my throat clearly. Um anyway. Bish finger. Back back it back in. <laughs> Essentially, Tom, is all that made sense? Is basically if you're going to look at the papers of their, what you need to basically make sure that if they are, it's because it's fine if they use different effect sizes, but you can use a paper can a meta analysis can have papers with raw raw score and chain score. However, what the researchers have to show you is that they have accounted for that. Is that they've actually done a calculation to bear that in mind? If they start to forget that and treat them as they're the same, so they say that this paper says 0.6, this one says 0.3, this one says 0, but they're forgetting how many other studies have they done that with within the meta analysis? Yeah, which then could give you so artificially you've got a much higher score because that 0.6 in terms of value is massive compared to 0.3. So you could then use that. Your conclusion would be like fucking hell, this protein supplement X is fucking amazing. It's huge. Um, the effect size is massive. When in reality, it was half of that. Yeah. Obviously, look at that link if you want to get a bit more into it, but it's quite simple, basically. It's just when you look at them, make sure that they are clear in how they've calculated their effect sizes and that they are treating different ones as different. Like a so raw score standardization, change score standardization. Are they treating them differently? 
Yeah. Go on, Tom. Go on the next one before I fucking <laughs> die again. Yeah, like, have they properly accounted for any samples contributing multiple effect sizes? I mean, look, based on everything we've kind of said, it just comes down to like the vigilance of the actual people doing the paper itself, the actual researchers. I think it does help if, like, well, I don't want to say, like, as many researchers as possible because, you know, too many cooks can spoil the soup, so to speak. Mm. But it does help to have, like, a, a good amount of people on your team doing this make analysis where you can all double-check things, where things can be peer-reviewed. And that is a, an important point to make, actually, is things do need to kind of be peer-reviewed because if it is actually peer-reviewed, someone's gone over that and double-checked it. There are some... I don't want to call them papers, to be honest with you. There is some pseudo-research that has been released where it hasn't actually been peer-reviewed, but it's been taken as gospel. Um, and, yeah, things just haven't been accounted for properly, at least. Whether that's through the person writing the paper just being a complete fucking idiot or actually being disingenuous. Yeah, spilled the bias. I mean, the first thing I could think of, and to be honest, I'm going a bit off topic here, I've got to be honest with you, but it's the most dramatic example I could think of. But you look at a guy from Squat University very recently. Oh, fucking hell, yeah. Uh, mm. did, did you hear about his... Uh, once again, I don't want to call it a research paper. But yeah. But his yeah, little thing he wrote, did you see that? So people were taking that to heart and taking the conclusion to heart as to why, you know, basically we shouldn't be moving our spines. But actually, the references he was citing were just completely... What was he talking wasn't about? It was, and, wasn't it him and Andrew Locke? Yes, it was. Yes, Fuck it was. Me. Padlock wanker. Exactly, padlock wanker. And the things they were citing in their paper was completely irrelevant mm. to the actual topic hand. There was things from credit cards to fucking earthquakes. It was like, this is supposed to be about the spine. Yeah. What the fuck has this got to do with credit cards or earthquakes? So, yeah, it does come down to, like, the vigilance and, dare I say, the integrity of the researchers. Um, they, did get, they did get hammered for it, though. Like, they got smashed by the... Yeah, Fucking, fucking rightly right so. People. Rightly so, mate, as well. Functional memology out of field day, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, no, no, but rightly so. You know, it is awful. But obviously, I'm not saying that, like, researchers are, you know, disingenuous or anything. That was just, like, an extreme example of if you're not double-checking your sources or your references, you're going to have a bad time, basically. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's... Uh, do you know what, though? Good thing about this... Uh, the actual this actual mate analysis about mate analyses is it has taken the industry by storm. So who knows? This might be the actual paper that makes researchers think, fucking hell, okay, yeah, I don't want to fall into these traps here. So I'm going to make sure I'm more diligent with the actual mm-hmm. with, with much performance in or doing process. this uh, mate analysis myself. It's good. It's a really good sign, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Okay, we'll move on to the next question, which is, have they used an appropriate statistical model? Basically, this refers to a fixed or random effects model. So I'll go through what these are. A random effects major analysis calculates the statistical heterogeneity, so that basically means variability, among the individual studies and then incorporates that heterogeneity into the model. And then it aims to estimate the average value of the distribution of effect sizes rather than estimating the singular true effect size. So basically, they they look at the variability and they incorporate that into the model. So they are aware that there's going to be variance within these individual studies and they've got some little funky, geeky stuff that makes it all nice and good. The opposite to that is fixed. Um, And that assumes that there is one true effect size being estimated by all of the studies in the analysis. So it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier, Tom, when you said how some papers were looking at muscle, some had like strength involved, some would have muscle involved, but it'd be only on women, some would have like blah, blah, blah. 
Whereas a random effects model will take all of that into account and it will give you something. Whereas a fix on would assume that all of the studies are looking at a true effect of blah, blah, this supplement will do this thing to this population, blah, blah, blah. So it's a bit more rigid. Okay, so for most, basically for most maters, you're going to want to see a random effects model. There is There are uh, circumstances where fixed is not too bad. For example, like if uh, statistical variability, heterogeneity is pretty low, so there is not much variance in any of the papers, like they're all on men, they're all done at the same. So basically, everything's pretty similar. Or the paper has like no studies. So as Tom said earlier, if a meta-analysis has got two studies, there wouldn't be a significant difference between the models. It becomes a bit more minimal, so it's not the end of the world. But if you've got like a huge fucking paper of like a meta-analysis of 50 studies with millions of participants, and it's a fixed um, effects model, I'll be a bit like, mm, that's a bit odd. Why is, why is it fixed? Um, you want it to be random because the chances are there's going to be a lot of fucking heterogeneity going on there. Another point on this one is that the, you know, you just ask yourself is, did the researchers appropriately account for key confounding variables in an analysis? So I'll give you a really simple example. And this one is neglecting the effect of time. Let's say I've given some athletes a massive fucking wad. So I've just smashed a bunch of people, burpees, skier, fucking muscle-ups, all sorts. And then I've given them, you guessed it, protein supplement X, okay? Um, and they have to take that over the next four days. Every day for the next four days. Hmm. You should then 100% assume that markers such as muscle soreness will improve over a four-day period regardless whether or not I gave them protein supplement X. Basically, you're going to want to see in the model of this study that they have taken the they've taken into account the effect of time in their model as well as other confounding variables. Because it's very easy for a paper to say that these athletes took protein X during this four day window and their muscle soreness markers decreased. Okay, brilliant. But if they've not encountered the fact that time will do that anyway, then it's a bit disingenuous. Pretty simple example, isn't it? Um, yeah. So. Just make sure when those variables are there, they, they have, normally they will do, like you'd be pretty fucking stupid not to. That was just a really simple example. It's not very common, but just make sure they are doing that. So basically making sure they've used an appropriate statistical model to come to their conclusions. So yeah, last one, well for me at least, is basically is there any like implausible like large effects, things that basically throw the graph off. Um, this is probably... It, for, for me, this is probably the easiest way to kind of like quickly go over like a meta analysis and see if there's anything obvious. Um, so a couple of things I mentioned earlier is you get something called forest plots and you get something called odds ratio. This is basically like a, a nice little graph that encompasses all the studies included. And it's like a, how do I explain it? It's like a, a sliding scale with the odds ratio being how many studies favour this particular outcome versus how many studies don't favour it. And the forest plot is basically each individual study and where they're plotted on this graph. So if you have more over on one side compared to the other, that's what's going to drive the outcome. Usually, like they, it's a forest plot, so the trees are quite close together. The studies are usually quite close together on the graph. If you have a quick link to it and you see straight away, fucking hell, there's one tree here that's really far away from the plot. What's going on here? Straight away, that kind of stands out to me. Now, with a meta-analysis, as we said, like it encompasses several different studies, right? I don't know about you, but I ain't got the time to go for a mate yeah, analysis and read every individual study. Yeah. And you get a, what is it, Bill, where you get like a, a mate analysis that accompanies, accompanies other mate analyses. Yeah, it's calm, you know, when you look at those. God forbid like, that, you know. Yeah. So a lot of the time you're just taking these at face value. But that is like a nice little simple way you can 
like look for anything majorly suspicious is look at that forest plot and see if there's a tree really far away from the graph there while the studies that's really far to the left or really far to the right compared to all the other ones you go do you know what i'm actually going to read that particular study out of all these ones here just to see why it's such a significant effect if you suddenly have like a tree in the fucking middle of a car park somewhere away from the forest, you're like, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> Something's yeah, not right. Are you Aliens, yeah, like what are you doing? <laughs> Dig yeah, yeah. Get back with the rest. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah sure. that's where I'd look at it and go, okay, something's going on here. And then you might kind of, uh, yeah, say like, is this actually relevant to the main analysis? Is it just a bad study? What, what's, what's going on here? Why is it driving it? But yeah, that's probably the most simplest thing you could do. Could you just eyeball that? Just look and go, okay, that's standing out to me. Now I'm going to go deeper and actually read it. That particular one study in this meta-analysis, see what's going on. And then it might make you wary of that meta-analysis and you might be like, fuck it. Now I'm going to be even more vigilant, go back over it and look for the points we've just made in this whole discussion. Uh, This next one is kind of similar in a way. It's, uh, is there a great deal of unexplained heterogeneity? So what you're looking for is variability, basically. So I've got an example Obviously, guess what? Protein supplement X is back out again to finish off this uh, this segment. Um, and I've told everyone, okay, that it's going to increase performance. Researchers have got hold of this. They've seen me put it on Facebook saying that this supplement's amazing. And they've got 20 studies testing that out, okay? So the main analysis found 20 similar studies that are testing out my supplement on uh, performance. Um, so let's say it's got an average effect size of 0.2, which it's not horrendous for a dietary supplement. It's not too bad. Um, but let's say... Five of these studies are reporting massive reductions in performance and four are reporting outrageously large performance. The rest of them are pretty normal, but they've got those there. So that's not that's not a few. Like you could, if, if one of them, if, let's say there's one study which was, you know, outrageous reduction and one that was, you know, massive improvements. You could kind of let that go as like a little odd, odd, one, odd one A in there. But because there's five and four, that's quite big. You need to look at that. So you, you would need to then dig into those inconsistencies before you could say that my protein supplement X works. Even though 10 of them are more balanced and they're saying, no, it's pretty good, yeah. The fact that we've got five saying it's fucking tragic and four saying it's amazing, that's very, there's a lot of heterogeneity there. So you'd have to dig into those. A bit of a ball ache, but you'd have to before you could then say this meta-analysis shows that my protein does the job. There are plausible reasons for wild heterogeneity in a paper and, that, and that's fine like it's not always a huge issue you shouldn't look at it and go oh, fucking i look at all this heterogeneity in this paper fucking i'll throw it out throw it out but if it's unexplained you need to be cautious normally the paper will explain it and be like okay we've you know with the, normally at the bottom of a paper you see discussion they will go into things like okay we notice blah blah, blah there's a lot of you know these five studies uh this is why if they just completely fucking ignore it and go to conclusion saying xyz then you need to be like okay hmm, why have they ignored it yeah there's obviously like a brief um, list. Obviously, we've added our own little spin on it with uh, a <laughs> bird's eye. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, well, I'll, le- I'll leave a list in the show notes, kind of just like, I won't put like, all the details. I'll just put the titles because you can kind of then come back and listen to the information if you need to. Uh, but the titles could kind of jog your memory a little bit. But I'll leave those down in the show notes. Um, I mean, so have you got any more final thoughts on this paper overall? Obviously, you've kind of already said that like, it's a really good thing we've got this now. It should kick people up the arse a little bit in the industry. No, just to repeat what you said there. I mean, it's a good thing to just come out I mean, hopefully it will kick people up the arse, particularly like um, fitfluencers, et cetera, people. I mean, including us, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's just been a great help for me as well. And it is... Yeah, um, I agree. I put this on my Instagram a while, a few days. It might might be like two days. I can't remember because I was, yeah, ill past couple of days. I don't know what... Shitting through the eye of a needle. Exactly. Both ends. Um, (laughs) But 
I have seen it before where meta analysis do have like glaring errors or no, tell truth. Um, there was one years ago, I can't remember what it was, what the study was actually about, what the analysis was on. But I remember it being like definitely in favour of something or other. And uh, I was discussing it with someone, I can't remember who the fucking person was I was talking to. And they said, you do realise that they've like actually like doubled two of the studies here. Like they actually posted the same study yeah. twice and that particular study had already driven the, uh, it was like an out, so you know what I just said about how like this tree was really far away from the forest plot, mm. but they actually did it twice and it completely yeah. fucked like the odds ratio and it was something I didn't realise until that person pointed it out to me. So yeah, always learning. So yeah, these errors are out there. They are out there. I do think main analysis are still the gold standard, but we still need to interpret them carefully. What you said, they have like a eighty-five percent statistical like error in them. Yeah, eighty-five percent of the top twenty cited S and C ones had one at least one statistical error. I mean, I'm not put off by that too much no. because in the mate analysis, one error is yeah. not. Yeah, it could it could be minor. Who Bearing knows? in mind the mate analysis is several studies, so if there's one fuck up there, well, at least you've got loads of other studies to kind of back you up anyway. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter, but you know if you're shooting a target and you've got fucking 10 rounds and one round goes a bit stray you know you still have a bit of a group in there not saying it's not been affected but I mean uh, yeah we still got to kind of be wary but at least we've now got ways we can kind of look at this and go okay yeah duh, 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 duh. I've done this little checklist here okay this seems to be problematic here but overall it's not too bad or no shit this mate analysis is really problematic I'm just going to fuck this thing off so yeah at least we've got like a little checklist now Okay, we'll move on to the final piece of news, and it's a very festive piece of news, Tom. Success over the holiday periods. Now, this is not like a specifically a news article, but this episode has been recorded on the 9th of December, so we're coming up to Christmas, and it is that time of year where people tend to overindulge a little bit. Um, it's getting a bit cold outside. As you can tell, me and Tom have been fucked up by the weather, yep. tons of illnesses. Um, but basically, what we're going to talk about now is we're going to discuss staying on track over christmas but this could be related to any holiday really so if you're listening to this in fucking june july when it's boiling you can still be relevant if you're going to do some holidays the first thing i mention is rest okay like it's important that we do rest so don't think that you have to fucking keep absolutely smashing it to the intensity you have weeks on weeks on end if you've got two weeks off over christmas it's a good opportunity to sometimes rest. Not only physically, I'm not just saying you have to like sack the gym off, but normally you can step away from the stress of work, maybe relax a little bit, maybe unwind a little bit. And people don't realise the importance of that. Like I found, if I take a week off work or I take a couple of weeks off the gym where I don't do a normal thing, the way you feel, you'll be very surprised. And we'll go on to it a little bit later. We'll go into it now, but later. You'll be surprised that you don't lose gains like overnight like you know if you stop going to the gym for like a week you don't just suddenly become a fucking paper straw you know what i mean it does, doesn't work like that so don't be afraid to rest um and then something i think tom will probably jump on as well is that i'm saying rest but be, proceed with caution when it comes to the fuck it it's christmas mentality yeah because you hear you hear this a lot and i'm telling you now to have rest and enjoy the festive period but the fuck it it's christmas mentality can be a slippery slope because once you say it once, it becomes psychologically, it becomes a lot easier to say it again. The moment you say yes to something, it's easier to do it again. So mm. if you keep saying, oh, do you want to come, come for a beer Monday night? Oh, yeah, fuck it, it's Christmas. Then it's Tuesday. Oh, should we, keep, should we just keep fucking going? Yeah, fuck it, it's Christmas. Next thing you know, you've been on a five-day bender. I'll get back on track in the new year. Yeah, exactly. Next thing you know, you say, oh, 2025. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So 
yes, fuck it, it is Christmas. Enjoy a mince pie. Enjoy a fucking beer, beer with your friends and stuff and your family. But try to avoid the incessant uh, language in your head of fuck it, it's Christmas because it gets to the point where you have the whole of December, you'll just do nothing because you keep telling yourself, oh, it's Christmas. What are your thoughts on that, Tom? Um, it's a bit of a difficult one because obviously we do want people to enjoy themselves over Christmas. Yeah, sure. Um, it can be a bit of a difficult period because everything changes. It becomes more stressful. Christmas is fucking stressful, especially if you're especially kids. Especially if you're a parent. Yeah, especially if you're a parent. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, it gets colder. It gets darker. You know, well, it gets ill, cold, we get flu, Ill, diarrhea. Yeah, <laughs> everything just happens all at once. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, this is a bit late to say it now, but this is something that I do tend to say to clients, which is, you know, look, winter is coming, trademarked. <laughs> Wee, go on. No, generally I do. I say, look, winter is coming. Exactly. But yeah, it's coming, you know, activity levels tend to drop off, you know, start thinking about is there things you could kind of do as a backup so that if it is, you know, what what can you basically do to at least maintain your activity? If there's a drop off, at least it's not going to be a complete like shock to the system. This is where, you know, do be, have been a member of the gym is useful or some kind of fitness club, something where, you know, it's well lit, it's a decent temperature, it's a safe environment. But it's, you are going to get those kind of trainers that say, oh, 10,000 steps, no excuses. No excuses in the cold fucking dark in December yeah. where it gets pitch black at three o'clock. <laughs> yeah, 10,000 yeah. steps, yeah. Good, awesome, good job. Also, it is a very predatory time of year. Uh, not just because oh, it's We dark. spoke about it, didn't we? A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about that, about uh, safety yeah. and stuff. I mean, I was going in a different especially. direction there, but that is true. It is that time of year where, what you know, you, it's it darker, quicker. Well, I mean, it was actually, it's a very predatory time of year for fitness professionals. So there are going to be those types out there where it's like, you know, your your goals need to be important for Christmas, you know, the Christmas, Christmas shred, shred yeah, the sure. Christmas shred, um, you know, you need to burn off those mince pies, you know, so just be where you do get those predatory types there that make you feel ashamed of Christmas or, you know, as if you're going to, the whole idea of a Christmas shred, like, fuck me, you're putting someone like a very, very, very short time period to complete overhaul their life which isn't realistic to really do for the vast majority of people. And when they don't eventually complete that goal of a Christmas shred, what is left remaining? Shame. Mm. So yeah, just be aware you do get those types out there. But yeah, I mean, like practical advice is just having somewhere safe that you can go to, whether it be a gym or a fitness club. Obviously, that isn't available to all people. It's very difficult to offer advice. You said about making it work, practical advice, hard to. All I would say is let's say you're somebody who normally goes to the gym three, four times a week, okay? But the Christmas periods come up, kids are off school, things are getting stressful, as Tom said. What we don't, what we want to avoid is, yes, enjoy Christmas, but breaking routines over this period is quite detrimental because, yeah. as we know, to build a routine, it takes a while. Breaking one, it takes second. It doesn't take very long at all, really. You could break a routine pretty quickly. If you say no to something, it's pretty easy to break. So what I'm saying here is practical advice. If you go to the gym three times a week, but you now can't really realistically do that because of the stresses of the festive period, you don't have to change that language to, I'm not going to go to the gym three times a week. I'm going to exercise three times a week. That could be going for a walk with the family. That could be doing a little bodyweight circuit at home, doing a, a light stretch. Just any sort of movement or activity could replace that number. So instead of saying to yourself, oh, I normally go three times, but I've not, just do three period pieces of movement a week instead. Yeah. So when you do go back in January, you've not completely broken off your physical development routines. You're still doing something. You're now just going to change it back from your daily walk and your your body weight session two back to the gym three times a week if that makes sense yeah i mean just to add on to that like um what i was gonna say is it's it's hard to 
yeah, advise it because obviously heating bills, etc. But like, <laughs> you know, people be surprised at what they can get up to at home, physical activity yeah. wise. Yeah. You know, I think I mentioned before that like, even my my partner has done things that involve no equipment on a thirty minute YouTube video. I mean, we look at like a. The physical activity requirements or the guidelines, where for, you know moderate activity is 150 minutes per week. So we're looking at the ones, like, we're, not, the ones we're not following. <laughs> yeah, the ones we're not following. <laughs> you know, yeah. 20 to 30 minutes a day. You know, I think it. A lot of us. I'm not saying everyone. I don't want to be that no excuses type person. But you know, a lot of us can get that Top in Goggins. There. You know, a lot of us can get that kind of movement in there. But it's just discovering like, well, how? How do I go back and moving in? I, just, I simply don't know what to do for that half hour. There's plenty of YouTube videos, you know, equipment, you know, body weight stuff, uh, resistance bands if you do have them, like bag for the yeah. bins, or just simply there's actually, you know, my kids actually uh, did it a while back. There was a an aerobic workout video of Super Mario. It was a guy dressed as Mario, oh, wow. and he was dodging the that. bullets as they was coming past. He was jumping over the pipes, but I did it with my son. It got my heart rate up. Sounds silly, but it's movement. Even if you can't get to the gym three times a week or two times a week to what you're usually used to, you might get into that mindset of, oh, fuck it. Well, do you know what? I'll wait till after Christmas and I'll start training properly. I'll chin it off for now because there's no point now. And I'll just pick it back up properly, keyword being properly after Christmas. Um, who says what is proper? Even if you have to drop it, even if realistically your motivation levels because it is cold and dark, it's actually going to do it once a week. Do you know what? It's still once a week. You do what you can do with the resources that are available to you. Just goes back to managing expectations over this period, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly managing, that. Because that's something we need to do. Like, obviously, this is Jen. We're talking to like Jen Pop here, but chances are you might put a little bit of weight on over Christmas. Brilliant, yeah. whatever. You know, it's it's pretty normal. But in the grand scheme of things, the grand scheme, it's not it's not the end of the world, is it? So as long as you're managing those ex- expectations and you are aware that look, what you're doing is still fine. There is no you're not you're not doing it improperly anymore because you're not doing what you normally do. Being you're just becoming aware that look, things are different now for this month. I'm managing my expectations. It's fine. Nothing wrong with it. I do what I can. Yeah. As I said before, don't fear about losing stuff. Like people will, they'll feel like oh fuck, I'm going to start losing all my gains now. Don't. I think we've mentioned a previous podcast. I'm not sure if the date is the same, if there's any new new data on this, but I think it was, there was like three weeks before you actually start losing strength gains. And that was, that paper literally looks at you doing fuck all. So people did literally nothing and it took like three weeks before their strength started to dip. Muscle and, yeah. Yeah. I think anything like dramatic that had changed was more linked towards like new uh, skill loss, which to be fair, you pick up again pretty quick. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've spoke, I think I spoke to someone recently, actually. Things like that. You've built those um, neuromuscular pathways already. You're essentially like reactivating them when you go back to do the skill. Like you've you've already built them. Like you've you've already been through that. You've obviously lost it a little bit, but you go back into you're reactivating them. People obviously call it muscle memory. I mean, muscles don't actually have memory, but it's the layman's terms. That's basically what it is: muscle memory. So I mean, they kind don't of do. fear. <laughs> they, yeah, kind of, but don't fear it. Like don't. Don't think you're going to lose everything by having a couple of weeks off to relax. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that you have to completely drop things if you can't help it. Obviously, if you want any more advice on that, guys, um, DM Tom. I can't be asked. Um, I'm going to be drinking beer. I'm going to be drinking beer and mince pies. I'll just forward you on the bill again. It'll just be a back and forth. Back and forth, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like when you're trying to cancel a membership for something. (laughs) Yeah, getting sent to all the different customer service teams. (laughs) Okay, that is all the news this week, guys. Um, That is us done. 
with the podcast this year, pretty much. Um, the next episode is the Christmas special, which is kind of like a bit separate than obviously the normal format of the series. But So that is essentially us done with the podcast. But yeah, thanks for tuning in. I'm sure we'll all say the same on the Christmas special, but if you decide not to listen to that, we'll say thank you now for tuning in to the fitness news, um, this new format, uh, and all the other episodes in the year 22. And we look forward to A23. Thank Very you very exciting. much. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure as always, and we will see you next week, same time, same place, for the 2022 Christmas special. See you soon. See you soon.